Hello and good day, wonderful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing tremendous and I'm sending you all of my prayers and love and well wishes to you, your family, your friends, and everyone you care about. We've got a phenomenal episode of the show for you today. We have Benjamin Stewart on. We're talking about DMT, the apocalypse, and transformation. This is an absolutely phenomenal episode. Uh, I know you're going to love it. Ben's work is amazing. We talk about his journey uh, being a successful musician, the movie Zeitgeist, uh, why he got into making documentaries, uh, the real elite, uh, outside versus inside control, the gin, uh, Krishnamurti's quote on health, meditation, and breath, breath work, DMT without psychedelics, what apocalypse actually means. We explore fasting, uh, uh, Aramon and Lucifer. We talk about uh, leaning into your body for answers, intellect, so much more. This is a phenomenal episode. We really explore a lot of things in here from you know really deep conspiracy to transformation to spirituality. So I know you're going to enjoy this show. Um, if you do, please share it with your friends. Consider going to mattbelair.com and becoming a member where you can get access to exclusive content. You can do so by donation like Patreon. Um, I'll look because Patreon's uh, gone, so that's why you got to do it over there. Or you can do it for free. If you just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com, I'll happily make you an account. Um, if you guys want to work with me, just hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com. There's a variety of programs and ways we can work together from the Soul Compass, Zen Athlete, one-on-one coaching, and also training sessions on limiting beliefs and using um, a powerful quantum heart hypnosis process for overcoming limitations, past trauma, and things like that to just help you get very clear on who you are, uh, what you authentically want in your life, and building a path and a strategy for actually executing on that um, in these very trying times. So if I can support you in any way, just let me know. Um, But the best way you can support the show is to do three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Uh, You can find me on Telegram, t.me forward slash Matt Belair, on Instagram for a little bit. Uh, You kind of post in here and there. It's the third account. So uh, the socials are sporadic at the moment, but best way to stay in touch is mattbelair.com and join the email list. So that's it. Let's get into this amazing episode. But before we do, let's come into a state of peace and coherence. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, power, courage, strength, truth, and get ready to enjoy this phenomenal episode with Benjamin Stewart. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. As you know, we are currently overcoming extreme censorship. So if you'd like to support this show, please share episodes, uh, become a member at mattbelair.com for exclusive content. And most importantly, consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest is a filmmaker, musician, and pioneer in the conscious art field. Before his touring rock group disbanded, he had already launched his third documentary with global viral attention. His feature documentary, Chimatica, won Best Scientific Film at the 2009 New York Independent Film Festival. After producing the Psychedelia and Limitless series at Gaia, he went on to produce the Magic Plant film on cannabis and hemp. The viral internet film DMT Quest launched shortly after and was shared by Joe Rogan and many others. His newest documentary, Awake in the Darkness with Aubrey Marcus, will be released in 2022. Welcome to the show, Benjamin Stewart. My man, thank you for having me on the show. 
Dude, I'm so excited to do this. I've been following your work for a long time, enjoying your documentaries and your content and all the research it takes to, um, you know, go down those fields of study that I'm very interested in, but then to come back in a very concise way to have, you know, tangible information and just really expand the mind. So your work is fantastic. I'm a big fan. I'd love for you to just share a little bit about your journey. What got you into making documentaries and being in a band and doing all that kind of thing and to everything you're working on now? Yeah, man. So uh, I was an army brat. Um, age six months, I, I was born in Tacoma, Washington, but then I moved pretty much every six months afterwards. Like I was living in and out, in the country, out of the country. Uh, some of my favorites would have been Kwajalein in the Marshall Islands, which is a little speckling of islands between Hawaii and Micronesia. Um, that's where I got to experience uh, a shamanic culture called the Marshallese there. They're matriarchal. And, um, you know, had just deep respect for indigenous wisdom. Uh, even if I didn't fully understand it back in those days, I was like five or six. I just knew that there was some deeper way that they saw nature. So I was always really, really into that. And um, was super into music from an early age. And uh really i was trying to be a musician and the first part of my life at, at maybe age 14 i started playing drums and guitar got into a band at 16 um had a, a freak out thinking like of the economic world around 17 so i joined the military for six years but in that time i joined another band while i was in the military and it was called hyrosonic and um hyro um sacred sonic vibration so um was kind of into the stuff before that but that was i was doing psychedelics from an early age around 14 same time that i was getting into music and what really shifted things for me from music into filmmaking was all of a sudden it was 2007 and i saw this film zeitgeist and i really appreciated it uh for for several reasons even though I disagreed with a few of the points being made, it wasn't about how well I agreed with the, the logic and intellect. It was, wow, this was a really well done film. It was well edited, had a great soundtrack to it. It was uh, all encompassing. And there wasn't this, hey, before you watch my film, you need to give me some money or you need to give me your email address. It didn't want any of those things. It didn't ask you for them. It didn't have uh, credit in there. It didn't say Peter Joseph on the film. It just said zeitgeistmovie.com uh, at the end. And so for me, I was like, man, this this feels like an underground movement that just wants to wake people up. So what I decided at that moment was I have to do the same thing, but I, I have to fill in the blank that I felt was there, which was that film didn't really go spiritual at all. It broke down religion and it made, you know, it, it did a good job of showing what institutions of religion, which are basically institutions of power, uh, not religion in its essence, it, you know, that film broke that down, but it didn't really leave me feeling empowered. And I knew that, like, I don't want to become a conspiracy filmmaker. I want to use that as a way to get people to challenge their reality, but then show them that the real conspiracy conspires for you. So there, there is a conspiracy, but there's really one conspirator and it always conspires for you and it's within you. 
And I didn't know of any other films that were doing that. All other conspiracy films were basically Alex Jones, some documentary that somebody made on um, uh, David Icke at the time. And they were all just scary, scary, scary. And then they left you feeling scared. And they didn't really leave you feeling empowered by the end. And I knew, I was like, okay, that's my lane. So that was what turned me into a filmmaker. I stayed in the music industry for a little bit longer, trying to make it work, but the, the film career just blasted off. And uh, I decided to take that route. And then bada bing, a bunch of films later, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Well, a bunch of great films too. And I love what you said there. The conspiracy it conspires for you. That's a really powerful statement because the you know zeitgeist and some of those other documentaries that you start to just look at the world and you're wondering what is going on right and everything that i've looked at in my life it's like okay i'm going to look at the healthcare system it's like okay this isn't at all what i thought you know you mm -hmm. know coming out with germ theory versus terrain theory going back to you know the flexner report and things like that or you look at the financial system or you investigate each war and what actually happened and you you realize that uh, i think there's a quote in zeitgeist in many documentaries as this history is written by the winners mm -hmm. right and so we're we're told very little about what actually went on and so to look and uncover all of these horrors basically all of these lies all of these deceptions can leave you feeling empty can make you uh, afraid can make you all kinds of disempowered uh, ways of feeling and i know that during this covid scenario a lot of people woke up because something was amiss so they started to look at things and, and they started to wake up to all this stuff that you've been privy to for a long time. And I've myself have been aware of, and we're all, we're always uncovering more. There's no end to unraveling the deception and getting closer and closer to what is the truth. And so I'd love to hear your two cents on how do you frame everything um, to keep it positive when you learn about what the, you know, the financial institution is doing, or you learn about Monsanto and the food, or you lo learn about the banking system and how that's architected or the history of education and what's really going on there. And you just, it's like a nightmare alley all over the place. And so how is it that you're able to say, okay, look, that exists, but we're going to turn this around and make it an empowering thing, because I feel like it's important to know, uh, let's say the devils that are out there, the adversaries, the people that mean you harm, because they do exist, but to be powerful enough and empowered enough to have it not affect or ruin your life, but some way support you in your own journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I always centered around the, uh, the center of gravity of all my narratives have to do with first, let's, let's look within and see how we come to think we know things. So um, the main thing is, is like, for us to be able to see the world differently. Let's say that there's somebody who, who believes everything they read until one day they, they see a good enough film that's like, holy shit, like actually the, the world is not exactly what I thought it was. At the end of the day, what I like doing before saying, well, one of these two is correct, you know, which one is it? Before that, it's let's start looking at how we happen upon our belief that an external reality is actually true. And it always has to do with a, an emotional resonance, some kind of an emotional reaction. A lot of the times we think it's intellectual, it's logical, but really it's predominantly if something in our gut rings true, we, we, whether we want to or not, we listen to that more loudly than logic. 
And, you know, if, if somebody is telling us something and like, it's, it seems perfectly logical, but something in our gut is like, I don't know, something's off, something's off here. We can't not hear that. We can't not feel that we can actively deny it, but we, we can't throw it away. It's always there. So what I do to keep people really taking a look at like what I believe is the conspirator is conspiring for us is first and foremost that the whether we're in, I think it was Einstein that said, you know, you have to ask the question, are you in a uh, safe universe? You have to ask that question, are you in a safe universe? Who answers that question? You know, we always have to bring it back to how do I come to know if, I, if I'm pondering over something, where's the validation point? Is it out there? Is Snopes going to tell me, right? Is, it, you know, if enough people say something, is that going to make it true? Because, you know, I, you know whether it's about um, what the cosmos is, what the earth is, we've gone through iterations of different beliefs and usually science is the history of most people being wrong about most things most of the time. <laughs> like if you take a look at it on a big enough time scale, all the science of today will be overturned at some point in the future. And so to me, I take a look at this as it's not to say that the past was wrong. These are stepping stones of the evolution of the, the human psyche and the human consciousness. And so what I'm coming to realize is that we, we're having a psychological event as a species right now, especially since 2020. And we, we love to point fingers. We love to, to find something external to say, like, it, it can't be happening within me. I have no control over this. I feel more comfortable feeling that there is something external that I can place all the blame on. And what I've come to realize, whether it's through plant medicine experiences or just deep introspection through meditation, is that I only know something to be resonant and true if it emerges from within. And so what I've come to realize is that we, we are predominantly stuck on trying to find the one singular concrete reality and call it truth. And usually it's this thing, like if other people can agree upon it, then I feel more satisfied knowing that that's probably true. And I think that the real wizards and magicians and the, the, the real elite, um, the, the ones that we, you'll never even hear their names. It's not the Elon Musk's and the Bezos and the Gates the real magicians and the wizards are the ones who are actually actively creating reality by spinning narrative. And yes, the media has a huge hand in this. And yes, Hollywood has a huge hand in this, but really what it is, I actually believe this happens through ceremony and it happens. Um, we would see it as like, Oh, look at what's happening in Ukraine or take a look at my first film esoteric agenda. I go through a lot of the most recent wars and what dates they fall in and not just in the Mayan calendar, but also in our calendar, according to ancient pagan um, uh, rituals uh, when they start to when they end, it's very precise. And I believe that what this is, is it's a harvesting of the, um, the human psyche, certain aspects of the human psyche. And so these large events, even all the way down to the mass shootings that are happening, um, you know, that we're hearing about 
um, this year. These are events that are here to evoke emotions from us. So those emotions can, um, surgery can be done on them remotely from these wizards and magicians. And I know this is getting into this very kind of like airy fairy space for people. Um, but the reason why I believe why it all is a conspiracy for us is because I have never found one moment where if, if I'm getting sucked into the media narrative, that if I don't, if, if I can center myself and I bring it back to center and I, I really, I can tune into that, all that information swirling around me, but I do it from center. If I evoke stillness and then I witness all of those narratives spinning around me, they center around a point that is in complete control for me. It is in complete control. And so I know this is a, a personalized way of saying that there, you know, this all conspires for us. But what I find is that when I work with clients, everybody that I work with, if I get them to introduce their own stories, like literally create their own stories and start to bend their own narratives, they start to realize that the emotional neurology that they have in their gut brain starts to rewire itself. And you can invent the way that your hormonal makeup actually triggers thoughts in your, in your body. Now, the last thing I'll say to this is that doesn't instantaneously, there's a, there's a time lag. It doesn't instantaneously change the Bezos and, and the Gates and uh, those outside of us instantaneously. But what it does, especially for those who are consistently working with this practice of augmenting your own narrative and what this all means, creating a different um, mythos that binds our culture, what seems to happen with people is they instantly experience synchronicities where they start finding their community, their real tribe, their real community. And the, the one thing I want to say about this is look, look at the, the huge event of 2020. I don't have to get into event 201 and, and like how that was predictive of what came right afterwards, but you cannot have an event like that. Even though it was a mad dash for freedoms, you can't have an event like that without what you know Newton would say is an equal and opposite reaction of people naturally waking up. And so the thing is, is I think even Michael Tassarian says, within any agenda that isn't for the greatest good, that isn't for the, the real conspiracy that conspires for us, there is a mechanism of its own destruction within it. And the thing is, is yes, there are a lot of things happening in Canada and in Australia. We've seen in the past years um, over in China. And in a way, we have all these stories of saying, look, the world's getting worse and worse and worse. You and I are still having this conversation talking about this right now. And, you know, like we're running live and yes, there is censorship. But what I believe is that with the right anchor, if we find our own center, I don't experience any censorship. And I'm not going to say that's because of my meditation practice. But what I'm starting to notice more and more is there is a field, there is a matrix that lies beyond the matrix of causality where, you know, force 
equals, you know, uh, one force against another force and the bigger force wins, as Charles Eisenstein says. There's something that exists beyond that, that actually exists through less kinds of force, which is more of a surrender. And I'm starting to notice more people wake up to that surrender. And when you surrender to that and acknowledge that actually this is conspiring for us, then you start to realize that most of the narratives we get freaked out, uh, freaked out by are the ones that are placeholder before our awakening. We're holding these freak out stories because we are not wishing to walk through the door of that surrender because we're more used to the force equals force. A lot of us are trying to fight against what's happening. And I think that's what's keeping the matrix of causality um, here in play. So uh, I'm hoping that this is answering your question, you know, but the, the main thing that I want to say is I'm finding a lot of people are trying to fight against what's happening. And in fact, when you accept the reality as it is, then you'll understand and you'll, you'll be gifted a key from the universe that shows you there's something deeper than forcing yourself against what's happening that is actually a key to unlock the real pathway forward. And it's going to happen effortlessly. So that's my utter belief. Well, I love all that. And you shared a lot of what I believe are Zen principles, right? They talk about just surrender to what is and understanding that, you know, there are certain things you can't control. Um, obviously, almost everything outside of you. And I had a, a thought the other day when I was stressing about something. And I just thought about the idea that uh, nothing can change the will of God, you know, from all the things that are happening, these big massive things around the world. I can't change any of that. The only thing I actually have power over is my own uh, state of being, you know, my own consciousness, my own decision-making, my own will and where I um, choose to place that. And I always come back to like a war example, you know, the Navy SEALs are for you going into, you know, being in the army for a little bit. If you go into a combat situation and it's highly stressful and you might have something terrible happen, like step on a landmine or get blown up, or you go to the Braveheart days where it's even more intense, you know, flying arrow to the face or whatever horrible thing could happen. The, the more centered you are, the more likely you are to get through that event. It's all horrible and it's happening right there, but that you have to stay centered. And that's a very empowering place to be for you to continue on. And so you brought up a lot of great topics. And I'm also reminded of the movie, The Dark City, where these mm. kind of under, it's a really great movie if you've never seen it, but you get these little underground people put a spell on people that are walking through the day. And, and, um, and then I'm also reminded of like the gin. And I don't know if you, you've probably heard that before. It's like mm -hmm. this, um, I don't, I, I can't describe it well, but I see it as like beings that feed on our energetic field. And some people believe that that's what's actually going on in our existence. So as we are like being in fear and anxiety and depression, we're kind of getting milked by like a parasite that we can't see. And I think that that's a really fascinating analogy if, if it is true. Um, but even, even if it is, all I need to do once again is come back to an empowered state of peace, of calm. And it comes back to your worldview. Um, you know, is conspiracy of the world uh, for you or against you? Is this a safe place to be? And the outside world is always trying to convince you that it's not a safe place to be. And in my life, I've had a gun to my head. I've almost died. So I've, I've realized many times and I've realized that that is the will of God that I'm here. All of this stuff, if I'm supposed to be taken out, maybe a car accident, maybe something else that will be beyond my control. But my experience here, I can learn to have more um, surrender 
more understanding, more compassion, and more faith and move toward the side that says life is happening for me, that I'll be able to adapt that to anything that's happening. You know, everything that's happening is for, you know, the individual to grow in some sort of capacity and challenge is what forces growth in so many things, whether it's human species or anything else, um, that adaptation comes from a challenge. And we're all in that now we're facing this big giant of the world but it's like you said i like the other um the cause and effect well now that they've done you know event 201 and everything we're in now now all of a sudden people who wouldn't even be looking at half of the stuff are deciding okay what's the solution and the final thought i'll just say on what you shared was the buckminster fuller quote is you don't uh, fight you don't build the what is it you don't you got to you don't build the new world by fighting the old you do it by building the new or something well yeah but i'm i just read this quote yesterday actually it was um uh it's it's basically to to destroy instead of fighting against the old world you build the new one and render the old one obsolete so yeah. you know oh there we slightly go. I, different I, words yeah i i i I Googled it because I want to get it right. It's such an awesome quote. You never change things by fighting the existing reality. reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And now we all have an opportunity to participate in that. Because the old world, as you knew before this, was pretty messed up and most people didn't care. As long as they got paid and they were doing their thing, um, you know, they, they didn't realize some of these other things that could have been due for an upgrade for quite some time. Yeah. And, you know, like the one thing I want to say, because like I can also sometimes hear in my head some like, you know, but questions to me on like what I was saying about everything conspiring for us. I want to be clear on what I mean by us. And it's not our preferences because uh, Jim Fadiman wrote a book called um, Our Symphony of Selves. We have a lot of... Um, sometimes competing, sometimes synergistic, sometimes very contradictory and, and paradoxical, um, which all mean different things, um, selves inside of us. And we have a lot of preferences. And so somebody could listen to that and be like, this is not conspiring for me. Otherwise I would have enough food to eat or I would, you know, and so like that that's a hard one there specifically saying that, you know, that's a preference. Most people who are going hungry, it's not their um, their physical preference. But what I do mean by that is a lot of us have an expectation that we're owed something by the world. And I forget exactly what show this was, but it was basically where this guy was sentenced to death by beheading. And right before the guy was going to take the guy's head off, the guy started freaking out like, is this all there is? Is this all that really all there is? And the executioner said, what more ought there be? And that stuck out to me so much because as cruel as that might seem, we, we do have expectations of a certain kind of human fairness. And I've, in my plant medicine ceremonies, I've really gotten rocked to the core with this one. Um, I, I won't go into it now, but almost half the times that I've done ayahuasca, I found myself at least for a brief amount of time at a round table. And this was an interdimensional non 3d secret society. And um, the, the intelligence of like mother ayahuasca and mother nature 
is one seat and then there's mantid beings in another one and i won't go through all of them but it's just very very interesting that i keep going back to this round table sometimes i have a seat sometimes i'm i'm just a witness but a lot of what i notice is in in and i'm not saying that this is a part of people's reality that you need to believe what I'm saying. This is just an experience that I had, but it's, it's this reoccurring one that what's happening and the pain and the suffering that people are going through is a, an awakening process is a purification process and it's a birthing process. And we think, you know, we have these, lives of a hundred years. And we think, you know, not even a hundred years. And we think that's a long time, but really this is something that's been happening for thousands of years. And there is a presence on the earth that has been here for thousands of years that I believe are akin to the jinn and the archons in the Gnostic gospels, which do feed on our energy, kind of like a parasitic force, but even the parasite exists within the plan and the conspiracy of the one true conspirator. You would obviously call that God. If, if there were other words for it, I would, you know, place them on there as well. But the, the thing that I noticed was every single time I came back to this round table, it was obvious what was coming is actually going to be a lot more difficult than anything we've experienced yet. And it's going to be more massive and widespread than anything this planet has experienced for thousands of years. And um, one of the things that was said to me was, um, it's time to take away everything from a lot of people. And this included um, not just our luxuries and, and our creature comforts, but um, much of the food, much of the fertility of the earth. Um, and also much of uh, other resources, like even in certain areas, lack of oxygen, um, extreme weather uh, fluctuations. And so, again, I'm not taking this as, uh, as gospel as this is actually coming, but it really got me to start thinking. I have a preference, just like in ayahuasca, when things start getting really difficult, you know, I have this preference where I'm like, yeah, I don't feel like dealing with this right now. <laughs> you know, this difficult <laughs> shit that I'm, I'm experiencing, all these demons that I've held in my closet for a while, all this stuff about myself, I never thought I would ever have to face again. And it's coming about, I have my preferences. Yeah, I, I would prefer not to have to deal with this. However, when I go through it, inevitably every single time, on the other side of it, I realized, wow, I couldn't hold the denial any longer. And even though my ego was super afraid at what I was about to experience, there is a necessity in what I was experiencing. And so all I will say is in my research, I also see that something big is coming maybe even this decade, but at least in the next 20, 30 years. And it's also in the zeitgeist. You listen to anybody on the left, anybody on the right, Anybody who's uh, an economist, anybody who's an ecologist, they're saying we can't sustain something big and massive is coming. So you'll hear, you know, from Davos, they're saying the Great Reset. You're hearing from some people, the Great Awakening. You're hearing from others, uh, the Great Ecological Collapse. We're obviously hearing about a great economic collapse that's coming 
soon. And I believe that all of these are telltale signs of the fact that our collective ego cannot hold on to the denial and the lie any longer that we've been living in. And that's just the growing up of the species. So I do believe that what's coming is absolutely necessary. I don't believe it's going to be uh, easy. And I absolutely believe it's coming in the coming decade or decades. So uh, I don't say that to scare anybody, but um, I, I also don't pull any punches anymore. So, yeah, well, you know, that is heavy. And, you know, as you started, we talked about how it conspires for you. Um, when you do martial arts training or fitness training, it's challenging, right? And it helps you grow as an individual. Um, it also helps you grow spiritually. And in this world, what it seems to me when I look at spiritual texts, I'm reading the Bible a lot more now. I've gone through the Bhagavad Gita and some other religious texts. It seems to be this war between good and evil that comes down to choice. There's always a choice that the characters make, and there needs to be challenge for you to choose um, which will be good. And now that can be challenging for people to say, well, how do you know what's good? Well, we know what's uh, wrong or evil by a, a great definition of um, Luciferianism that says anything that seeks to restrict or bind by definition is Luciferian. So if you're in a state where you're trying to impose your will on somebody, take away someone's free will rather than defend yourself. If you come into my home and you're threatening me and I take you out, that's your own fault. You should have stayed the frick away. You know what I mean? I, I didn't come into your home and try to take anything from you. Um, so I've always balanced that one with, you know, martial arts and things like that. When do you use force by any means? And I've noticed in my life from doing martial arts, I never, ever have to use it in public. You know, I can mm -hmm. run away faster than you can, you know, chase me mad. And so, you know, you don't need that. But um, we have to understand the decisions and choices we make. And if everything is uh, so easy and we're not on a spiritual path, right? Everything about life is about entertainment, about getting more money, about, uh, you know, all these things that people really think about. Um, even with my friends, I always thought it odd, like I would travel uh, and I had really great friends growing up. I come back after an amazing travel and we would be at the bar and we would talk about it for like a minute or two. And then it was just like sports or something. And I always thought if they had just come back from a travel to Europe or someplace I'd never been, I'd be so curious about what they did and how their experience was. Uh, but it just kind of shows, you know, their mindset of, of kind of like how their worldview is operated. And so it seems to be that we can really use an upgrade in our fundamental worldviews in upgrading compassion. And this cr creates challenge, right. To know what, what human, uh, human beings are capable of, right? What, what, what do we stand for? You mm -hmm. know, are we standing on the side that says, you know, let's participate in, you know, making better communities for everybody, you know, staying in kindness and compassion and, and helping each other. Or are we the person on the boat that throws in like the Titanic, you know, throws the kid off the boat to get a seat. And it's a terrible analogy to even contemplate, but I feel like if we can align ourselves with this understanding that, and I'm sure you've experienced this through ayahuasca and other means that this God presence, God, whatever it is, this divine spark that we all have, our soul, the thing that keeps us alive when we sleep, you know, whatever that force is, the Tao, whatever, that's benevolent. And what we go, what happens beyond this is benevolent, but who we choose to become here, I feel like that will be written in our record forever. All the choices we make as human beings, no matter what happens after this, is written and it is by our own doing. You know, they can poison your mind, they can poison your food, they can 
poison, you know, the media that comes in in every single way, but you are, you have to be the one to poison your soul through your own choices. And so when we take all the power back, and even though things might be challenging with the worldview that we do have a benevolent creator uh, that we can adapt to anything, then we have uh, hopefully a perspective that can help us rise to whatever challenge that happens rather than saying, oh, I need something outside to save me. I, I'm not equipped for this. You know, why don't I have my leather seats or something like that? It's like, okay, here I am now. How can I once again, you know, forge myself into a new way of being to become stronger, to become more connected to God, to become more connected with my community and grow in all the most important ways that a human being can grow, not just financially and emotionally and through, you know, getting more uh, fun at Vegas or whatever, whatever you call that entertainment. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you really want to test this, that we're here to learn, um, not to be coddled, not to be taken care of, not to be given a fair life. We're here to learn. And um, many of us will try to use that, well, if I start learning, then will it start being more fair? You know, if we don't make that the, the fulcrum and the, the, the focal point, I actually do believe it works. And it's, it's almost oxymoronic though, because each of us, has to face, we're either going to do it on our deathbed or we're going to do it before, but we have to face down our arch nemesis, our deepest, darkest nightmare. And it's us. It's always us. And we will in this life, like I said, we will face that. And what's interesting about it is like for me, and I was just in Costa Rica and I had done um, ayahuasca. I've probably done it well over 60 times. And the, 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 last two that I did were the, by far the deepest and most different experiences I've ever had. It's always changing. It's always different. Um, but what I've come to notice is that like, when you listen differently, the universe shifts in the way that it actually communicates. And so by asking different questions and listening outside of your persona, Right. Like if, if I listen outside of Ben Stewart and all the things that I've learned and read and believed that I've known in the past, if I listen outside of myself, I come to realize that, you know, much of what the real cosmic significance of our existence is, is to truly listen and become part of the music of what's happening here, because we can augment it. And when you, when we use our voice not through our intellect, not through like, well, I read this and I've verified it through all these different sources. Therefore, I know it's truth. That's usually when we are farthest away from it, when we are centered in our intellect. It's when we're truly listening to like what's being spoken beneath the words. You know, when somebody is, is voicing something to us and we challenge them and we push back against it, I've found that there's always many layers. We can listen to what they're actually saying, what they're actually worried about, what they're actually excited about deeper beneath what their words are actually saying. And if we can listen from those spaces, you actually realize that by listening from those spaces, it's very, very specific how you can tweak the, the almost the back end switchboard of what's happening inside them. And are you a parent? Yeah. Okay. You, you've probably noticed this, that like if a child is asking for your attention 
and you're busy and you're not giving it. You, you kind of hear them, but you're not really listening. You hear them and they know that in some level you hear them. They're not idiots. They can tell you hear their voice. And what's happening when you don't respond to them is they have a couple of choices. They can either ignore it, which kids usually don't. They start getting louder and louder and louder. And then they'll start trying other tactics and, you know, they'll, they'll cry or they'll get mad, you know, and then eventually the, the worst thing as a parent is when they get quiet, because that's when they realize, you know what, you're not actually there for me. That's, that's the worst thing to get from a child. So what's interesting is there's many ways that you can approach that again. Like you can listen to them and not respond. And I've had my, my, my kids ask me a question and I'll just look at them and I won't respond. And if I do what you just did and give a, a subtle smile, <laughs> they always know exactly what I mean, which means you know the answer. It's already in there. And that puts them on notice that, oh, I, I, I've now, because of that little communication, I've oriented myself to, okay, we'll find the answer in here, not out there. You can do that with everybody. You can do that with animals, just not in the same exact way. And by playing with this, you realize that this is actually far closer to theater. We are actually creating this. And when you remind people of their own power, not try and disempower them, what you're actually doing is the same for you. This is why I would say the, the biggest problem, which I, I understand and I've actually used this tactic in the past, but finding the specific people to blame and then projecting hatred at them. Now, finding specific people that are doing specific things in the world and pointing it out I think that's perfectly fine. But what I'm seeing most people do is thinking that they, you know, they have all the courage in the world and they're projecting hatred without realizing that deep down inside, what they're trying to do is rally hatred from other people so we can stop the guy that I'm actually very scared of. So it's a way of cloaking from ourselves, not even the rest of the world, cloaking from ourselves that we're actually in fear of that which we think we're, we're uh, that which we're directing aggression at without realizing that there is no way for that idea to actually leave the source. What we're doing is we're cloaking our own fear and we're keeping ourselves from being able to identify that now we are incubating fear inside of our body politic. So the actual way to resolve all these, what we call our external dilemmas is by facing them within. It is the only way actually. And the, the only real um, efficacious way to do it is by not going limp. When I say surrender, it's not going limp to it. Uh, in the same way that like surfing isn't going limp, but the surfer isn't commanding the wave, right? The surfer is at the whim of the wave, but they're not completely limp. So there's a surrender, but there's a certain amount of skill that's being applied to it. That's what I mean. In this kind of surrender, you are accepting of the Bill Gates, the Bezos, the Musks, the billionaire class. You're accepting that that is the reality that you are witnessing. And you are now invoking um, you're evoking, I should say, 
uh, by asking the proper question, who am I now in the face of this? And when you ask that, you are humbling yourself saying, I don't know who I am. An answer is a box. It's this thing that is like a, a metric. It's like, this is the answer. It's in a box. A question unlocks it and opens yourself up to infinity. And it invites infinity in. And you can then say, who am I now in the face of this? That is a form of surrender that is surfing this intense wave that we're all on that allows us to actually ask and invite forth the answer. What do I do about Bill Gates? What do I do about all, all, all of this out there? And most people will probably come to the realization that stop reading about those people because your work is in your family. You, are you growing food? Are you doing anything in your community? Or are you just clickety clacking on your keyboard, hoping that your you know, memes and whatever actually stops what's happening out there by people who are building, actually literally building the war machine. So like, that's the main point that I want to get to in this entire podcast in all of my work is the fact that we do have the power, but usually we think that engaging with our power is through aggression and force. And it's not, that's the quickest way to disempower ourselves because we don't realize that what's the, what that's doing is incubating our hidden fear to let go of that fear and leverage the energy of that fear is by saying, I don't even know who I am. I'm going to humble myself that much. Who am I in the face of this reality that I'm seeing? And what anybody who does this enough will come to realize is that when you ask that question, reality actually orients itself in a way where you realize you do have your hands on the back end switchboard that we are actually co-creating this reality and there's a surrender that is required, not a force. I love that perspective. It's incredibly empowering. It reminds me of this uh, podcast I just did with Emilio Diaz Barroso. And he just talked about, you know, going into each of your deepest fears that, you know, somatic experiencing and emotions. Well, the cloak that you spoke of, of fear, that's the biggest, their biggest weapon is fear. We can't think properly. We can't analyze or dream or allow new ideas to come in because we're a little bit stuck in fear. It's the fight or flight response. And to become a master, to be as adaptable as you can to do what you can to find solutions and open your mind up. You have to be free from fear. So the challenge is that is accepting it, right? And it's the same thing with the, you know, samurai warrior or something like that. They have to accept the possibility that they might get cut down. With that acceptance, they can then move forth with their solutions and their training in a whole new perspective. And so with this, it's like, okay, um, write down everything that you are terrified of, you know, go into it. And, um, you know, see if you're able to process that emotion to allow that kind of energy. There's not an ideal energy. And as you said before, it's not a preferred energy, but it can be a useful energy. We can transmute that. And when they talk about alchemy, it's not just lead to gold. It's the emotional alchemy, the energy, the information that comes from that feeling that gets distributed to the body through your action. And then maybe gets put out to the quantum field or however the heck that works. It's a very fascinating thing. Um, but the ideal thing is that you're going to grow in some sort of way. You never move forward by ignoring those fears or ignoring those things that you're trying to mask, right? So rather than being afraid, you're suggesting being angry, which a lot of people do. So how can you be in the most empowered state of mind while accepting this reality? And that's maybe one of the most 
powerful questions that I've heard. Who am I now in the face of this new reality? Who am I now in the face of this new understanding? How much time am I putting? Okay, that exists, but how much time am I building in the solution? Yep. You know, give it, if you look at your day, right? 20 minutes at the horse crap that's never ending, get a couple of those details. And then the rest of your day focused on solutions, the person that you want to become, taking care of your health, being a good quality community member, uh, doing work that inspires you or lifts you up, being a good member of the, the, the work that you're doing right now, you know, your spiritual practice, getting a good connection with the creator and whatever that is for you. All of those things are much more empowering than in which way can this world be ending? And I'm a little bit guilty of that with the work that I put out because I always try to have this balance where I think if we ignore the predator and the people who intend us harm, uh, we're not seeing reality as it is, uh, but then focusing on the solution, the middle way. Okay. Right. I'm not going to go um, you know, where lions are in Africa, you know, with meat tied to myself, right? I'm going to be aware of that. So then I can enjoy the experience as much as possible uh, without disturbing nature and also getting my, you know, my foot ripped off, but I'm also not going to be afraid of it. So I think it's mm -hmm. that middle way. And I'd love for you to speak a little bit about, you know, your influence on, uh, you know, ayahuasca, psychedelics and plant medicines. And I've worked with some indigenous uh, people as well. And I, and I really have a reverence for those teachers. Um, Clifford Mahuti, I think, you know, as well, unfortunately mm -hmm. he passed and I really wanted to get him on the show one more time. I, I had no idea it was going to pass, um, but we were so close. It would have been great to have just as final thoughts. Cause I said, what, what, what do you think's going on now? And I've heard differing views, like, because this is such a strange reality, you know, I've done ayahuasca and it was helpful. And it felt like I had a direct connection with the creator beyond words, beyond understanding the best in that analogy I can give. It's like, if a goldfish gets human consciousness and we explain to that goldfish, everything that's going on here in the world, explain computers and everything for like a year. And then he goes back to being a goldfish. And then he has to explain that to other goldfish. There's no language or communication or understanding. If you've never even been out of the water, it's a whole another universe completely and it's been empowering uh, but then i think about like the gin or the archons and weird stuff like that is like is it possible i'm opening up uh something negative uh, and i'd just be curious your your thoughts on when you went down you know and, and i think you did something with dmt like an organization or something which is again incredibly powerful it gets produced from our pineal gland dmt and is in basically all plants and animals as i understand it so i just love to hear your two cents on that kind of field and if people you know want to kind of participate in that kind of uh endeavor yeah you know first thing i'll say is i don't recommend psychedelics um i i've found them very useful for me um and that's also only at times uh, i think meditation is the most streamlined safest way to go to the same places it's just admittedly um what ayahuasca can do for you is reliable and instantaneous. Like if you drink that cup, you're going to get a glimpse beyond the veil and it can be very, very jarring for you. That's why if you go back into many spiritual traditions, almost all, I mean, look at Michael Crowley's book, uh, The Secret Drugs of Buddhism. You know, they used psychedelics as well. Actually, many um Many religions started using and in their origin and before they became the, the names that we know today, Jainism, Buddhism, Taoism, uh, Zoro Zoroastrianism, Christianity, um, uh, Judaism, all these, like the Native American religions, uh, indigenous from around the world, psychedelics were their sacrament. So 
there, there is something ancient. There is something very, very sacred. And I don't use that word just as a throw around word, like sacred as in they've been held in these containers used in very specific ways for a very, very long time, which is why I've always gone to the indigenous containers that have been around for 10,000 years rather than the Johns Hopkins that's been around for like maybe 20, 30, you know, years less, um, so with that being said, I don't suggest that people do or recommend that people do psychedelics. I only recommend that people listen to what's calling them. If plant medicines are calling you, then um, you know, do your research. You can reach out to people who've done it, find the safest way and the, the best group to go um, do plant medicines within and listen to all of the instructions if it's ayahuasca and they recommend doing dieta and you're like, eh, yeah, I don't need to go on a diet, go on the diet. They haven't been doing this for 10,000 years for no reason and probably longer than 10,000 years. Um, and, and some believe only a couple thousand years, but there, there are some accounts of people saying that, you know, at, at least anecdotally, it's at least 10,000 years in the Amazon. So, um, and this is come, going back to like Graham Hancock type of history, you know, not, you know, modern conventional history. So with that being said, be, be your own guide on how to find yourself in a group. And then once you're in that group, you're going to have to surrender. Because if you say yes to that cup, once you drink it, there's no one drinking it. It's, it's going to be the next four to maybe even six hours of your life. So you have to be really, really careful about that. That's why I don't recommend it because if I recommend it, then people might feel like, well, you know, I'm doing this because, you know, Ben said it might be a good idea. And then in their mind, if they have a terrible experience, which a lot of people do, because they're, they're thinking, this can't be right. I shouldn't be having this experience. This is bad what I'm experiencing. And we have all these labels and categories. Then once we firmly place this experience of us dealing with things that we haven't brought up to the surface for decades or eons, if you will, um, then we'll just be like, well, this wasn't my responsibility. It was Ben's. Ben was the one who said this was a good idea. So now I'm cutting Ben off and... And it's not like I'm doing this because I hope people don't cut me off. I could care less about that. I want people to heal. I want people to heal. And what we're actually dealing with in this world is a very sick society. Even those who are very well adjusted, like Krishnamurti said, it is no measure of um, wellness or health to be well adjusted to a sick or insane society. And this is very true. If you can get along in today's world, it, do, it doesn't mean you're not healthy, but you know, it definitely means that you've probably had to endure some kind of trauma. So plant medicines like ayahuasca is going to bring this to the surface. The one thing that I will say is the reason why meditation and other forms like breath work, other practices um, can bring you to the same space is for what you mentioned. I made a film called DMT Quest. That's an organization that is not focused on smoking DMT or other kinds of DMT. It's all focused on how we produce DMT in our brain anyway. Quick fun fact. We produce serotonin. We produce, uh, you know, norepinephrine. We produce um, dopamine and stuff like that at 
you know, major levels to where, oh, these are major neurotransmitters. DMT, oh, it must just be this trace amount because our pineal gland is so small. You know, it's actually not proven that it's produced in the pineal gland. It's proven that it's produced in the choroid plexus in mice. So we still don't know very much, but we can surmise, we know it's produced in human brains. We know that. We know it's produced in the human body. We're almost certain that it's produced in the choroid plexus, which produces our cerebrospinal fluid. And it's always bathing our brain at all times. It's detectable in levels comparable to serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine, meaning it is a, it's likely a major, very functional neurotransmitter, meaning DMT is probably part of the way we decode reality. We're always on DMT. So what LSD, psilocybin, and ayahuasca, which has DMT in it, probably do is upregulate the free-floating amounts of DMT and cause uh, the receptor sites to be open to it more. That's what the MAOIs, the monoamine oxidase inhibitors inside the vine of ayahuasca, allows for the DMT to do is to pass through the gut um, and pass through the liver so it can make it through the gut brain or the, the blood brain barrier. So we're always on DMT. We're always holding. It's quite illegal, if you ask me. Um, what's interesting about this is we always have access to this. And if we want to upregulate it, we don't need to do plant medicines. It's just the most reliable way. And this is why I believe there actually is a cosmic secret society. And they, like, as I say, they, it's, it's me anthropomorphizing it. There's this understanding that at this stage, we're so deep inside of our human delusion that we need radical interventions. And from the plant medicine or from the plant kingdom, these specific ambassadors of the plant kingdom, these psychedelics, these serotonergics that hit very specific uh, um, receptors in the brain, serotonin 2A receptors, they open up the floodgates between the brainstem and the neocortex, the, the more modern brain. And they cause for all the things that we are able to shove down inside ourselves and not be conscious of in our subconscious, it causes for that to start circulating and coming to the surface. What that says to me is that is the release valve for an increasing amount of collective ego pressure. And it's, it's allowing for and causing us to see what we're not seeing. It's literally the apocalypse because the apocalypse is the lifting of the veil. It's the being able to now see what was once hidden before. It's literally the apocalypse. And so I believe that, you know, you can even get scriptural with this. What's happening with plant medicines right now is trying to be co-opted by all the IPOs and the publicly traded companies that are trying to take over all these psychedelics, brand them, grow them in un less natural ways with uh, less indigenous containers that pray over them and, and, you know, open their hearts to them and sing to them and do them in very corporate ways. So the financial class can take over this apocalyptic event that's happening through the plant kingdom. So I hope I didn't get off uh, track here, but when it comes to psychedelics, this is what I believe is inevitably 
opening us up. But the bottom line is you don't have to do mushrooms. You don't have to do ayahuasca. We're already on DMT. And some believe that all psychedelics actually only upregulate floating endogenous DMT. Endogenous means made within. So um, it, we said it in DMT Quest, uh, which you, if you just type in DMT Quest's documentary on YouTube, you can watch it for free. There was somebody who says in there that LSD, potentially psilocybin, smoking DMT, all these things, they just upregulate DMT inside the brain. And so there's something that happens with an upregulation of DMT is that you can't hide from yourself anymore. All the things you've been lying to yourself about, they start coming to the surface. And what does that feel like? The rapture. Everybody starts going crazy at end times. Why? Because they have to face all the shit that they never wanted to face. They tried to bury it in the backyard and it started growing again, right? I think that's what's happening now. And I don't feel like there's any way to put, it's, it's like Pandora's box. You can't put the lid back on it. The dragon's already out. So that's my take on psychedelics. I mean, we are psychedelics. Anything a psychedelic can do to you, you can already do yourself. The thing is, we forgot the mechanism and these plants, these ambassadors are now making themselves known so we can remember who we are. And I think that's what's happening. We're remembering who we are and we're going to wake up to ancestral wisdom and ancestral trauma in the next few decades. I'm, I'm fully convinced by it regardless of whether people, you know, feel that that's a stable conviction or not, I'm fully convinced by it. And I'm delighted to see that it's happening. Wow. Well, that was a very complete and insightful answer. I, I resonate with your view on, on pretty well everything. And I feel like with the psychedelic part of the ayahuasca, you, you need to be mentally, emotionally, and spiritually ready. It's not a game. And it seems that at least it has a um, notoriety to it where people aren't playing games, but I do have, have heard of examples where people aren't respecting it or are getting it done, you know, in the right way, in the, in the right container. Right. There's there's certain, right. You don't go and uh, drink a 40 of whiskey at a two-year-old's birthday party, for example, but maybe for a bachelor party with your buddies that you haven't seen forever, you're going to get hammered then. Okay. It's a little bit of a, a more appropriate environment for what you're doing. And so with these things, it's a very, um, special and, and serious endeavor if that's what you're going going to undertake and and i love the background on all of the details that you provided i was curious your overall view like when you think about the world in the way it is like you know god creator living a meaningful life you know we get into the weirdness of the archon and the jinn and and afterlife and all that kind of stuff with everything you've researched and uncovered what's your view on on having a spiritual life, a connection with God, the creator, and how you see that and how to just walk this planet in, in a fearless way, because it does seem like as the apocalypse or the great awakening or all these things continue to unfold, it's just more and more pressure on things to be potentially afraid of. So you start off with the idea it's conspiring for us. And then you move slightly down. Like, I think it's all going to come to a head and we're going to, it's going to be harder than we imagined. So that evokes fear, but we want to stay in that empowered way. So uh, how do you kind of view all those topics? We, we need to get back to the body and we need to make it a lot simpler and more practical. So everyone's on their devices and this, this isn't changing. Um, but one thing that we're doing is we are overloading certain centers of the brain. And it's not just the, the amygdala. It's, it's not just 
fear porn. It's it's also like very small tidbits of information that we're we're getting. Um, and this isn't bad. And I think it's also kind of by design. But what's happening is we have so much information and we're not integrating it. So like this is something with plant medicines where like when you get home from a plant medicine journey, don't go straight back to work, integrate it for a while. And the same thing with fasting. I don't know if you've ever done fasting before, but like the most important part of fasting is not the time that you fast. That's obviously like if you don't do it, then you didn't fast. But the most important part of it is how you enter yourself back onto food. It's the reset. So that the, you hit the reset button, but the important thing is afterwards, if you start introducing the same food, there was no point in doing the, the reset anyway. You're just giving your body back the same stuff that was causing you to need to do it in the first place. You just negated the point. So um, really what we need to do is simplify the diet of information that we have coming in and really simplify it first into categories. Like we need to understand is what I'm reading, like it's okay to inform ourselves of the threats out there. And I think it's actually necessary. This is the whole dark and light. You know, when I talk about conspiracy, what I'm really talking about is it's sorry, if you can't hear, there's people mowing the lawn right outside. Um, the, when I talk about conspiracy and then spirituality at the end of these films, this twist ending where it's like, oh, but it all conspires for you. All this really is is the same tale throughout history of the light and the dark, you know, and, and I could go throughout the entire pantheon of, uh, you know, uh, the advent of Armon and Lucifer and anthroposophical settings and stuff like that on and on and on. But really, to understand the darkness, yeah, you got to look at it. You definitely have to look at it. Get a little bit of that. You don't need a lot of it. I think a lot of us are overeating that, thinking that we're protecting ourselves, thinking that, you know, like, well, this is how I keep myself protected. It's like, yeah, do you, do you really need to spend three, four hours looking at the darkest stuff and getting all the details? Do you need all those details? Are they directly applicable in your life? So we need to simplify it. Look at the darkness. Yes. But then distill it down. What does it mean for me? Who am I in the face of this darkness? And then you can look at the light. You can go into like, you know, um, spiritual teachings. And I think that's very good to understand how to root and to accept if this is part of uh, reality how do I root this into my being, into who I am? Because rooting the darkness is very important. That's what new age gets all the flack for is they try and avoid the darkness and just hover in the light. And that's, that's not realistic. And they always end up having to face their darkness and probably lying to other people about it um, to save their kind of persona, their outward facing persona. So we need to simplify things and bring it back to the body. The Body Keeps the Score. That's a very good book by Bessel van der Kolk. Um, and when you were talking about um, somatic healing through, you know, somatic therapies, your body has far more wisdom than your intellect. We need to get this super clear. Your body is 
not even a technology, it's an instrument that's been refined for we don't know how long, we don't have those answers. We're clueless onto our ancient, ancient past, except for stories that we come to resonate by and our distant future. What we do have is this long chain of iterating bodies out into existence, and we all have one of those. Our mind really starts coming into fruition by the more temporary stuff. So our mind is very new and we get very fascinated by it. And we find this mundane body to be this just kind of boring thing. It's just, it's here to get our head from sitting position to sitting position everywhere we go. Your body has so much innate healing wisdom and also it can answer your questions. And so what I do with clients is when they're dealing with a lot of fear, when they're dealing with a lot of anxiety, um, what I ask them to do is like, first connect that fear. Where is it existent in your body? And some people will say it's, it's around the chest. Like I, I just, I feel like I can't breathe sometimes or like I'm drowning and I'm like, okay, hold on to those words, drowning emotions. Like you can't get your head up above the surface that, you know, you can't breathe. It's causing that kind of anxiety. Some people feel like they're being crushed. It's on top of their shoulders. Some people it's down at the base of their, their stomach and they just feel this, you know, massive guilt or grief and this thing weighing them down. It's usually somewhere along their spinal column. So if you can find where your biggest fear or anxiety exists inside your body, Start asking your body as if it is your teacher, connect with it, breathe into those spaces, meditate and breathe into the spaces where you feel the anxiety and ask it questions. Why am I feeling this fear? What is it rooted in? Is there an experience that I've had in my past that I am not facing? Is there something that I am not engaging in in life right now and, and keep asking that spot in your body because your body was put here so long ago. It is this instrument that has so much wisdom and we don't ask it questions because we've allowed for the scientific institutions to be like, intelligence of the body are you kidding me that's ridiculous it's it's all up here this is it's all neurology and we can explain it away and by the way they haven't explained it all away in neurology and when we come to understand that most i would say like more than even like the you know the the base of the iceberg of our wisdom is beneath the neck and all this neurology, far less neurology in our heart, far less neurology in our stomach. We come to think, oh, well, if it's less neurology, it must be less intelligent. No, it's simpler and it's more streamlined. It doesn't, it, it doesn't need all the branches up here. And this is where we get stuck all the time. So how do I walk the path? I always bring it back to the body. And I literally walk my body barefoot along the earth. And I ask the earth questions. And there's a reason why if you look at the bottoms of your feet and your hands, these are membranes. They're meant to touch the earth. They're meant to touch trees. They're meant to touch things with these microbes in the soil. And the microbes in the soil have phytochemicals um, from the trees and microbes in the soil that are antidepressant and anti-anxiety. So we are supposed to be touching the earth and we're supposed to be asking questions like the natives did. As they were out on their hunts or doing tracking, they would be stepping and walking on the earth, listening, asking 
the questions. And we call that primitive. But what it is, is we've actually forgotten who we are. So that's, that's probably the best way that I could simplify it is the answer is in your body. It's not going to come from Ben. It's not going to come from your intellect. I guarantee it. If we have more people, if you want to go and check on YouTube and you want to do like, you know, like listen to lectures all the time, that's perfect. But please root that into your body. Go out after that you've stuffed your head full of, you know, this information. Go and take a walk. Let it percolate and integrate into the body. That's where the wisdom exists. I love that. That's a very beautiful answer and, and an amazing practice. I don't think very many people do. Um, from the study of martial arts, they teach you that as well as there's, there's wisdom in the body and to learn to how to connect to that. And most people are never taught this in any way. And that's why I believe sports are important or some way to get into the body, to understand it, to tune into it. It's interesting how we disregard it and its intelligence. And like you said about the school system, it's like the answers are always outside of you from some sort of authority. That's what they try to condition you. But if you look at any spiritual teaching and say go within well where is within it can be the actual body as the unit as the device where you can begin to factor things in and when you begin to listen to yourself you know when they talk about intuition and making the right call for you your body knows it sends you signals and if you have a lifetime of never paying attention and always um compromising you know what what you want it's like oh i feel like i should do this but i don't because my mind says not to well then you're going to lose that trust within the body and your decision making and you're going to become out of harmony you're not going to be congruent within yourself and your life but the better you begin to listen to your body to understand yourself to take that time to sit as a practice as a way of being it's just going to become natural for you and you're going to be able to make uh, better decisions and have more confidence and uh, do a lot more and be more able to grow through challenges which we all have and that's what big part of being here uh, man i could talk to you all day this has been phenomenal i is there anything that uh, you wish that I had asked or you think we should cover before we close the show? You know, not really. I mean, like, as you can tell, like keep, keep bringing it back to the answers are already here. Um, you know, I, I would just tell people that like, if you're experiencing anxiety and fear, um, think of walking out into the street, and then looking left and, and you realize that you only have a couple seconds to get out of the way before a bus hits you. In those couple seconds, adrenaline is pumping through your veins. And that adrenaline can feel like anxiety, right? And so, but you don't have enough time in that moment. You just get out of dodge. You leverage that anxiety-ridden feeling and you leverage the fuel that it is to push you out of dodge so you can get out of harm's way. I think a lot of people, they overanalyze in their intellect. Oh, I have anxiety. This must be something wrong. I got to do something about it. And they're, they're up here with it. They're not actually accessing what it is in their body. They're not dropping into their body. So what I feel is a lot of people have fear. A lot of people have anxiety about what's going on in the world. Instead of trying to find a way to get it to go away, have you asked why it's there? Have you like asked permission to get deeper clarity on what it's there to help you with, not to screw your life over with? You know, it's not here to screw you over, nor was the adrenaline 
there to screw you over, like to give you anxiety before you die. That's not the reason for it. There's actually a purpose to your anxiety. There's a purpose to those feelings of sadness, of loneliness, of feelings that there's got to be more to life than this. There is a purpose to that. Explore it. Don't turn away from it. Don't drug it away. Explore it. And I would say if you're dealing with anxiety, I don't actually think that people should go do psychedelics to deal with their anxiety, to get clarity on your anxiety. Yes, but not to get rid of it. That's that's the big thing that I'm kind of annoyed with in the psychedelic community now is like you can get rid of your anxiety and intractable depression and all these things. It's just like, wait, all those things are messengers. Why would you want to use a beautiful sacred medicine to push messengers outside of your body? They're just going to come back. Use meditation and, and really regulate your breathing and ask all of those things you call your problems, like anxiety and depression and fear. Ask, what are you here for? What am I missing? And how do I leverage what's happening inside my body? Because usually, you know, a, a dragon that doesn't realize it's a dragon will start having anxiety, right? But once you wake up to realize you're a dragon, you realize, oh, that feeling is me about to breathe fire and burn this false kingdom down. That's it. Beautifully stated. Well, this has been a pleasure to listen to. I hope that everybody enjoyed this show. If they want to follow your work, they want to check out your documentaries, they want to kind of go along for the ride, where should they go? BenJosephStewart.com. That's got all of my film work. That's got my exclusive content as well. So I have a member section you can sign up for. I do um, Monday, every Monday on YouTube. At, uh, if you just type in Ben Stewart on YouTube, you'll find uh, that I do Waking Infinity News. I sometimes do you know short documentaries, but it's every single Monday. Um, and then every Tuesday, I do a deeper dive just for members. It's exclusive on benjosephstewart.com that usually goes deeper into the same topic or sometimes into topics that I just can't get into on YouTube. And then every Thursday, live on YouTube, I do a, um, a podcast on YouTube, and that's simulcasted out to Twitch, and I think it'll be out to Facebook as well. So, um, but go to benjosephstewart.com. That's where you find all my stuff. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for all your work. I definitely invite people to check out uh, your work, your videos, your documentaries. They're always entertaining, engaging, and uh, informational. So thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Beautiful. Great interview. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. All right, guys. See you in the next one. Peace. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Benjamin Joseph Stewart. I hope that you enjoyed that show, and if you did, please share it far and wide. Leave a review on iTunes, become a member at mattbelair.com, follow on the socials, join the email list, or do whatever you can to do support, or just simply listen in to enjoy the show. Really, just do whatever you want. I, I appreciate you and your time and your attention. Um, just to let you know that I'll be traveling Italy for a month, so less shows will be coming on YouTube, but there will be backlog shows coming through the podcast to keep you guys uh, uh, entertained and educated and hopefully expand your mind and fill your heart and soul and give you a, a courage and joy and insight and just a path to know yourself and your connection with God and, and your place in this world. So thank you guys so much for listening. I appreciate you. And uh, let's just come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this show. Uh, wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. 
and let it out slowly, filling every cell, every muscle, and every fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, compassion, courage, faith, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.